Bon Jovi has had many hit songs. About a dozen years ago, he had a hit song with one line which went like this. Who says you can't go home? Well, conventional wisdom says you can't go home, and conventional wisdom is probably closer to reality than Bon Jovi's lyrics. Who knows why Jesus decided to go home? Was he looking for a home-cooked meal? Pay a little visit to the most perfect mother in all the world, in all time? Or was it to make a little money in the carpentry shop? We don't know. But we know that the reaction of the hometown folks seems to be rather typical, as there seems to be a persistent tendency for the elders of any community to view the younger generation when they come home not as individuals, but how they are related to those very same elders. Jesus was pigeonholed as Mary's boy, the son of a carpenter. In the time of Jesus, almost everything about a person had to do with the place and social standing into which that person was born. Who you were derived specifically from whose you were. Yet even the people's knowledge of Jesus' teaching and the promise inherent in his person, something seems to be missing in his visit to his hometown. The magic just doesn't materialize. Small town thinking ruled the day. The people cannot grasp or accept his claim to power and authority from God. A few years ago, in an article published in Sojourner's magazine, Werner Dozier made an interesting observation about Jesus' re rejection in his hometown. She wrote that the gospel writer placed the rejection in the synagogue in a religious place. The rejection did not happen over cocktails and nibblies. It did not happen in the carpenter shop. It happened in the synagogue. And he was rejected in the synagogue because his message in the synagogue had an irritating, challenging character to it. His message was different from the traditional teaching it had authority. You have heard that it was said, comes into conflict with his teaching that begins, but I say to you. Were the folks in Nazareth suffering from a spiritual problem, which can be called contempt before investigation? In Nazareth, the contempt originated from a kind of familiarity with Jesus that put limits on what he could be for them. Call it village expectations. In other places with other people, the contempt is different. Might stem from laziness, from territorial established by tradition or habit, from the desire for ease and comfort, 
or simply by resistance to change. The list could go on and on. But what we need to remember is that God can and does work through doubt. Look at Job, look at Thomas. Doubt is different from contempt because one can be in doubt and yet remain open at the same time. Who cannot identify with the father of the boy with epilepsy who says to Jesus, I believe, but help my unbelief. In contrast to doubt with openness, there is contempt by the folks at Nazareth toward Jesus. And this was not a matter of uncertainty. It is a matter of a hostile attitude, an angry close-mindedness. Such contempt can even defer God. Mark writes, Jesus could do no deed of power there, except that he laid in his hands on a few sick people and cured them. One of the 20th century's most important religious voices was Martin Buber. Buber was attracted to Hasidism, the mystical religious movement started by Orthodox Jews in Eastern Europe in the late 18th century. One of the teachings of that branch of Judaism is that God wants to be won over by humanity. That places God's self into human hands in terms of entering the world, that God chooses to be significantly present in and for the world through willing hearts. Where is the dwelling of God, asked Boomer. Is not the whole world full of his glory? And he went on to say, God dwells wherever man lets him in. Wherever man lets him in. At a religious place, people in Nazareth would not let God in. So the question for us is, in this religious place, will we let God in? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.